On this episode, we discuss what parts were revealed in an iPhone SE teardown, Pro Gaming sees a spike, SpaceX passes an important test, and Disney Plus has more Star Wars. Check out this and more in this week's show. I'm Kier from In Defense Of, a podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in three, two, one. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the OfficialGunnyGeek.com show. I am Steven Chandra, and I am pleased to say Chris Farrell's here this week. Howdy, boys and girls. Also joining us, he's first time coming to the show, but he's here for the, for the ride at Stargate Pioneer. The Rebel has been here before. I mean, this is not the Rebel's first time on the show. Is this the Rebel or is this Mirror Universe SP we have here? I'm confused. I think Mirror Universe would have to be it. Yeah, the darkest of times. This is the darkest timeline, so it does work out. The logic tracks. It was the darkest of times. It was the even darker of times. I think that's how the infamous opening goes. Well, if it's the even darker of times, I got to shut off my <laughs> lights for the studio. Oh, he shut oh, his router off. He dropped. No. <laughs> it's like, what? Made it you caught me. I'm looking at myself and you still caught me. That was funny. Okay. I got a geeky story to share today and I'm sorry. I'm going to do a little dad geeking out here. So I hope you guys don't mind going through, through dad talk with, with uh, Geek SJ. I think you'll appreciate it, actually, both of you. So today, uh, my kids were playing games. As you would expect, they were in the same room playing on two different systems. I think they were playing a game called Roblox. One of them was on the Xbox uh, One. And I'm trying to think what it is, the Xbox One. The other one was actually playing it on a uh, Fire tablet. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm in the other room. I hear screaming, It was the first oh. time ever that they were on two different devices and found each other in the same online world. And they were just That's like cool. over the moon excited about it. Sweet. Yeah. So you're going to start training them on Warzone now? <laughs> That's the next steps. Yep. Next steps. <laughs> but I thought it was Watch fun. out, Call of Duty. <laughs> I thought it was fun. And uh, I don't think they really understood how it was working, but the voodoo magic worked. It's the important thing is the voodoo work. Yeah. Uh, Chris Farrell. You should have just, you just should have told him that Uncle David set it up for him. <laughs> Speaking of Uncle David, uh, my brother has been on the show before. Uh, he is, as SP says, the better John Drew. And the superior John Drew. Ooh. Well, that's what you say. I say the better John Drew. Fair enough. Uh, I wanted to share uh, a little thing. He's talked a bit before about how he's doing 3D printing, and uh, I, too, have a 3D printer now, and I'm sure I will never, ever compare to his expertise to 3D printing, but I finally really got printing this last week, and it's a lot of fun. I got to say, it's a lot of fun uh, doing some 3D printing stuff, and I look forward to exploring a little bit more and seeing uh, what the future brings with 3D printing. I think it's going to be a whole lot of inappropriate items. So Apple first logos. of all, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that David's printer is better than yours. I, I could just 
automatically say David's printer is better than yours. Second of all, I have to say that my son recently got a new printer as well. And the first thing he said to me was, yeah, but I really, I, I can't do that long of a print because the filament gets jammed. And because I know so many people that have these 3D printers, I said, well, you know, you can print your own filament spool holder <laughs> to make sure that it doesn't jam up. And he's like, that's a thing. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a thing. That's just about everybody that has a 3D printer. That's what they ha- end up doing is printing their own filament spool feeders. He's like, I got to look that up. So score everybody that has a 3D printer, except for Steven, everybody else that has a 3D printer that I know. Thank you, because I helped my son because of your knowledge. I'm insulted. All right, let's kick it off with some iPhone news. This was a hot topic in last week's show. If you didn't miss it, there was a big discussion that we had about the iPhone SE. The long story short, uh, Chris and I disagreed, but we agreed on the most important part, which was that they copied Google. That was the most important takeaway from last week's episode. So I don't think that's exactly <laughs> what I matter. It doesn't matter at all. Oh, did I push your buttons? Oh, I'm, I, whoops. Uh, iPhone SE is, is the the dumbed down version of the iPhone, but it does a really good job. Uh, like the three, a did last down version. It's what I've got in my hand right here. This is the iPhone eight plus baby. This is the iPhone S E. Actually, this is worse than the S E. The S E is better than the iPhone S E is the dumbed down version of the iPhone line. Like the three a and the four a will be of the dumbed down version of the pixel line. And so it still is a really good phone, really good phone. Uh, we talked all about that last week. And the long story short is it kind of resembles, it does resemble a previous generation. You know, the old classic style of iPhone where it's got the button at the bottom. It's got the the big chin, the big forehead. It's got it all. And so this t- this finally hit, hit the streets this past week. And so as you might expect, iFixit has done a teardown. And one of the interesting things to do with the iFixit teardown is they, of course, analyzed all of the different parts in there. And it might not surprise you to hear that it's got a whole bunch of different model parts in there. Yes, yeah, so a lot of the parts can be uh, look back on other phones to, fu- to be found. And that includes the 4.7-inch uh, display is the one from the iPhone 8. The 12 megapixel wide angle uh, rear camera and uh, 7 megapixel front facing camera is either from the iPhone 8 or the iPhone XR, not sure. As well, the chip in it is from the iPhone 11, 11 Pro and uh, iPhone Pro Max. And the uh, gigabit or gigabit class LTE antenna also comes from the iPhone 11. So it's a whole bunch of somewhat modern parts mashed together as we assumed by the specs and the visuals that were put out uh, previous when this was announced. But I fixed this, torn it down, not a lot of surprise inside. And uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting to see if, you know, they were using new mo- new parts, um, like new modeled parts for this new product, or they were using ones that corresponded with previous models. So I'm excited to see that the uh, iPhone SE is out now and that a lot of people have started to get it. And it sounds like it's getting good feedback overall. Uh, Definitely, if I was an iPhone user, I would be looking at this. Uh, Let's start off with SPSP. What's your thoughts on this? 
I'm not surprised about the components because it just it mirrors what's in the iPhone 8 or 8 Plus right now. So no big deal there. I will stand by what I said last week in that the Achilles heel in this whole thing is really the RAM. It only has two gigabytes. If they had put three gigabytes into it, it would actually be comparative to a flagship phone. But as it is, it's a good phone for a year or two as you're waiting for that next flagship phone that you can afford if you're in the iOS architecture. I realize that not everybody is like the two co-hosts that I have on this show. They prefer the Android stuff. But if you have somebody that's in the iOS, this is a really good deal right now at the price point and everything else. I'm waiting for the 12 and I know I'm going to pay two grand for it this fall. And for 500 bucks, I can have the same phone that I have now, except for brand new. That's that's a really good deal. Uh, as a fellow Google user, Chris Farrell, now that we've seen the teardown of the iPhone SE, would you like to chime in? Sure. I still have my reservations in regards to the size of the screen. That being said, everything they're doing here about using parts from other phones, things like that, totally makes sense. How do you narrow down costs? How do you cut down costs? How do you make a $400 phone that is almost analogous to some of these flagship phones, reuse parts you've already bought. I have absolutely no problem with that. We've seen it before with other devices, stuff like that. I have no doubt that this is going to sell well. And honestly, I think this, this race we have between Google and Apple and folks like that to establish a high tier mid-level phone, it's a good thing for consumers because we're at a point now where we can be like, hey, it's not worth the extra 500 bucks to get a facial recognition camera that I don't really want to use on a Google phone, where it's not worth the extra 500 bucks to get three extra camera lenses that I'll never make use of, when I can have a phone that has basically the same kind of guts and features for half the price. Yeah, uh, I am, again, very supportive of this phone. I think it's it's a good phone all around. And well, from what I'm seeing, I haven't seen it firsthand, but I suspect that I will eventually get to see one firsthand because I got a few iPhone users in my life, and I have a feeling one of them will end up getting it at some point. Uh, let's move on to the next news point here, which is all to do with pro gaming. I believe that this is what happens when the uh, pro department of Home Depot starts a gaming tournament. Is that correct? That's exactly what we're talking about today, Stephen. Home Depot's pro gaming setup. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, we do know right now throughout the world, throughout North America, throughout the United States, where two thirds of our hosts are no sports right now. We're in the time of year where we should have baseball flourishing. We should have wrapped up March Madness, been going into the NBA playoffs. We don't have much going on. And as someone who likes to watch a lot of sports and has concerns about whether we'll get to see sports this upcoming season for football, specifically college football, it's nice to know there's options out there. And you know, some of those options you can watch right now are all about pro gaming and esports. They're seeing a huge spike in viewership because there's other people like myself who really need sports real bad or need something like that that scratches that sports itch. So they've started checking out things like professional competitions for League of Legends and Counter-Strike Global Offensive, both of which saw record-breaking numbers over the last few weeks. This 11th season of ESL Pro League, which ran from March 16th to April 12th, was what the league described as, quote, the most successful season in the competition's history, end quote. This includes a new record of 489,120 concurrent viewers across all platforms for the CSGO League. 
The league also said that total hours watched were up 113.2% compared to last year, and the average minute audience reached 164,494, a jump of 215% compared to that of Season 10. So it also expands out to League of Legends. The European Championship broke its peak concurrent viewership record as well, with 476,599 people tuning in to watch a Week 3 match between the eventual eventual finalists G2 Esports and Fnatic. The LEC said this was the most watched regular season game in the competition's history. Similarly, similarly, excuse me, the league's average minute audience was up 10% compared to last spring, though they didn't release any kind of numbers. The numbers are going to get even bigger when you factor in the upcoming playoffs. According to analytics firm Esports Charts, the championship match for League of Legends Champions Korea saw a record of 1 million peak concurrent viewers during tuning in to watch during a T1 sweep on their way to a ninth LCK title. Guys, I don't know what half this stuff is because I only dabble a little bit in major leagues and pro gaming and stuff like that. But it's kind of interesting to see how a lot of people are scratching that sports itch by tuning into professional gaming and things like that. And while I don't understand a lot of it, I will admit I have turned on Twitch from time to time or some other streaming services and watched some of these things, scratched my head and gone, man, I really wish I understood this a little bit better to know what was going on. But it's better than nothing. Have any of you guys tried pulling up any of these streams on Twitch or YouTube and watch some of these professional gaming tournaments? Uh, nope. I went down to Home Depot to the pro section and looked for the gaming uh, there. Okay. I see. I watched a little bit. I mean, this is completely off topic for this, but I watched a little bit of the NFL draft. I have strong feelings on that, so I'll just leave that for alone. Although I will say that a lot of people are engaging in online poker tournaments and gambling tournaments right now stuff that was already happening anyway but since there's no other sports to watch people are zeroing in on it and it's ballooning up i don't know if it's going to perpetuate after the stay-at-home orders leave or not but it's pretty cool that there is something like this because if the same thing would have happened 10 years ago 20 years ago you wouldn't be able to do this sort of thing now i think it's pretty cool I am shocked to see how things are picking up here. (laughs) Like, what do you think about the fact that people are substituting what they usually, usually uh, enjoy their traditional sporting um, watching and stuff. And now we're seeing this, like that's a big jump. That is a really big jump. It's huge. I mean, it goes in with what we've talked about before, where everyone's seeing spikes in internet usage because everyone's watching more Netflix or Hulu or YouTube and stuff like that. People are trying to find ways to entertain themselves while we are stuck in quarantine. And if you are someone who is invested personally in watching a lot of major league gaming, professional gaming, things like that, you're probably like, hey, this is really cool that there's a lot of people coming to watch this. Hopefully you're not one of those folks that's like, I was here first. I don't want all you new fake fans similar to what we've had for other people defending fandoms. I don't know enough about... Or like long-term podcasters. You know, or like long-term podcasters. I was thinking specifically Star Wars fans and comic book fans who are like, well, I've been a fan since 1980, so I don't need someone who's been a fan for two years. I liked it when it wasn't cool. I'm thinking of the the old the old guard podcasters. That's what I'm thinking of. No, I, I completely agree. I was just thinking of any podcaster, really, when it came to all these TV celebrities trying to pivot their shows and do online streaming and doing it very poorly to start out with. But then again, they were really starting from ground zero and 
they had a learning curve just like everybody else. And also the other thing that I don't think we talked about on the podcast before along those lines is there are union issues of setting up audio and visual equipment in some states. So that could be could have been one of the tamperment in the early stages of everything. But I digress. That's a different topic. Let's get back onto this ESL. I haven't actually caught anything. So if I wanted to see something like this, where would I go to watch it? I assume Twitch or YouTube or something like that. I honestly <laughs> don't know. I've seen but the, the thing. Here's the thing. And I'm not trying to be glib or anything like that. These things stream all the time. Like whenever I load up the Twitch homepage, it always seems like there's some kind of tournament or something like that going on. So that's why I honestly say load up Twitch or Mixer or the YouTube gaming section and you'll probably find something like this. I don't know enough about this fandom to be able to tell you I'm intrigued by it. I've caught bits and pieces here and there. I, I kind of wish I understood it better because I understand now how my parents might have been growing up when I'd start describing something and they would just kind of smile and nod and pretend like they were understanding what was going on or like they gave a crap on it because I start watching this. And I'm like, the, the hell are they doing? What? What does that term mean? What are they doing? <laughs> Just wait until you can't program the VCR. What's a VCR? I look forward, though, to you officially getting into this next year. I heard that you are going to report back uh, and you're going to start a podcast all about this, but you need to pick up at the beginning of the season. That's what I heard. Well, of what of what league, though? I mean, are we talking an Overwatch league? Are we talking a League of Legends league? Are we talking Counter-Strike? What, what kind of game am I doing a podcast about the upcoming season, Stephen. Can I do Hearthstone? If you have to ask that question, then you need to realize that you are not just doing one podcast. You're doing multiple cup podcasts to cover all of them. How would I do recapping Stephen John Drew's Major League Gaming Experiences podcast? Because I heard you're going to get into live streaming video gaming online to become a pro gamer and leave this whole podcasting life behind and become super famous. So I will recap all of your successes in the Stephen John Drew gaming fan cast. Uh, if you called, realize that would be a really short show, right? That's what I'm banking on. Uh, you know that it's called the Stadia <laughs> cast, right? I can't wait for your Stadia cast, Stephen. Are you going to stream that on Facebook? <laughs> exactly. I'll stream it on Facebook. Yeah. Facebook gaming, <laughs> Facebook gaming. Cause we all love that one. That's where you should go to watch all this pro gaming. Everything's going to be broadcast facebook.com slash gaming. You know, what is a little bit of a game creating new spaceships. That's a bit of a game, right? Sure. Can be like playing with Legos. <laughs> Ooh, I like Legos. That was my terrible segue. Go ahead. SB. Okay. So there was this news story that appeared out of nowhere, really. And I saw it on both space.com and spacenews.com. The space.com article was by Mike Wall. The spacenews.com article was by Jeff Faust. Slightly different titles to the articles, but they were both the same thing. What we're talking about is SpaceX's Starship prototype named SN4 passed a key pressurization test. We've been talking about this for a while, so I want to take this a little bit more in depth as we cover it. So the newest prototype of SpaceX's Starship spacecraft, which is SN4, AKA also known as serial number four, SpaceX is really creative with the names of these things, passed a crucial pressure test late Sunday night, April 26, 2020, which was last night, 
at SpaceX's Boca Chica test site in Texas. This is the same test that has destroyed not one, not two, but three of its predecessors. In November of 2019, a bulkhead in Starship Mark 1 vehicle, which the company showed off to the media just two months earlier. I actually watched that stream. It was really cool. The bulkhead ruptured during a cryogenic pressurization test, sending debris flying. We watched the video. It was really cool. A second Starship vehicle named SN1, or serial number one, was also destroyed in a cryogenic tanking test on February 28th of 2020, this time with the vehicle bursting near its base. It toppled over. That was pretty neat vehicle to video to watch. However, kind of horrific when you're trying to develop a spacecraft. And then SpaceX then stripped down its next Starship prototype that was in development called SN2. It stripped it down to its tanks. The tanks alone passed the pressurization test in early March. However, the Starship SN3 vehicle collapsed in another cryogenic pressurization test on April 3rd. So, wah, wah, three strikes and you're out, right? Well, no, 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 wait. They actually went ahead with a fourth. The successful test last night likely will set the stage for a test flight in the near future. That is awesome. SN4 can now progress to the next step of development, which is a single Raptor rocket engine will be installed and it will undergo a static fire test on the ground, perhaps as early as later this very week. So we might be talking about it next week. Provided that Raptor static engine test goes well, the SN4 will be cleared to fly on an on-crewed test with a target altitude of like 500 feet. For you Canadians out there, it's 150 meters or so in a few weeks, pending the Federal Aviation Administration's Office of Commercial Space Transportation approval of an experimental permit for the flight which could take significantly longer to obtain just than a few weeks. So we'll see on that. SN4 will be the first full-size Starship prototype to fly and the second of any sort. Remember a stubby test vehicle called Starhopper went off the ground briefly last year, but was soon retired after the test flights. In the future for Starship, SpaceX is working on the next Starship prototype SN5, which company founder Elon Musk said will have not one, not two, but three Raptor engines and the vehicle's distinctive nose cone section. The vehicle's flaps and other aerodynamic surfaces, quote, are undergoing redesign for mass reduction and simplicity, unquote. So a lot of 3D printing going on, I think. The revised flaps will be installed on either the SN5 or the SN6 vehicles, depending on when they're ready. For all the challenges SpaceX has had testing the Starship prototypes, Musk has said the biggest challenge is yet to come, and that is developing the production line for the vehicle. You're not talking about just a onesie twosie. You're talking about making these things in the tens or hundreds on a production line. Hundreds of these things, not the developmental spaceships, but the actual Starship spaceships. So it's like it's like a, a airliner. It's going to be a space liner. It's going to be awesome. Question for you. Quest. Can the engines open the door handles? I'm just thinking back to Jurassic Park when the Raptors opened up the kitchen door. You said they're Raptor engines? Yeah, 
it's straight out of the Ford Raptor uh, engines. Oh, they just Ford. take it out and they throw it in there. Ford yeah. Raptor, not Velociraptor. Following now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. My bad. So it's and built no, we're 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 yeah we're talking about Raptor rocket engines. It's just what they call the rocket engine. It's not off of a Ford Raptor for anybody that actually hears this and thinks we're serious. That, that was just a joke, which is a shame. Because I think that if anybody knows how to build a uh, electric truck, it's Ford. So, I mean, Might Elon be. Musk is, is right, though, when he talks about the challenges with the production line. And let's be honest, this is an experience that they've had time and time again when it comes to all the Tesla vehicles that they've constructed is you get the mock-ups, you get the prototypes, and then it's, oh, crap, now we've got to build up production. So they have experience on that side of the house. Yes. I know SpaceX and Tesla are different companies, things like that, but I'm sure there's some crossover between staff and some of that experience crosses over. So they've got some of the background on how to do that, but that's what's going to be the difficult thing is it's it's a lot easier to develop the prototype before we have to figure out, oh, this prototype that we've tested successfully works. How do we make 50 of them and how do we make it quickly or something like that? Have either of you been to the mega Boeing production facility in washington state where they make like the 747s the, the big i think uh, the, the airport's right by it right so like i've flown i've flown past it isn't it isn't it right like i think to fly into seattle don't you all right so you're talking about SeaTac airport this is in everett yeah this I is think not you, in tacoma oh, sorry from my area i think you go uh i'm trying to think i, I want to so see, you might have seen it say as you you're flying over, over it as you're getting close i don't know i, I could be wrong I might it be is in wrong. between seattle ever is in between seattle and vancouver so okay. if you're coming from your area yes you okay. would be able to fly over i just was trying to say it's not the same airport it's okay. not the same place but anyway it's the biggest production facility in america or at least it was when i went to go visit it and it's just massive and it can contain multiple wide body aircraft in production in assembly at any one time that is the sort of scale that elon musk is talking about he's not talking about building hundreds of cars a day he's talking about building a few of these a month just like you would a 747 or a 777 or one of those aircraft can i just say that boca chica is fun to say it is. That's why I put it in the story. <laughs> Say it three times fast. Everybody else says South Texas. I want to bring out Boca Chica. Boca Chica, 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 Boca Chica. I feel like this could be an adult film soundtrack. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next news point here, uh, which is not adult film, but it is uh, Disney Plus, which I, I, I won't make which that filters correlation. Which filters out They're that... Uh, <laughs> That adverse to you. Okay, yeah, let's let's talk about that before we get to the news point. Actually, so if you missed it, Disney <laughs> Disney took some heat this past week because of the fact that they uh, have in their vast catalog of movies that they own that they feel that they're okay to put on Disney Plus because they're going like PG and down. Uh, there was one I don't remember the name of the movie, but it, it had a uh, a nude mermaid in it, which wasn't actually nude. You don't see anything front facing, but as the mermaid is walking back into the sea. You see the rear. Well, apparently on the Disney Plus version, they they CGI'd some hair over top top of the lower back and lower 
ass. And so <laughs> they they ended up uh, putting this terrible CGI on. And like Disney should be ashamed because Disney yes, should have been terrible. able to make it look good. It looked horrendous. It looked like something I would do. It looks like someone spent five minutes in After Effects or something like that. Basically just went and extended his hair down a little bit. Bada bing, bada boom, we're done. It, it looks so bad. That's I, that's the bigger thing. Not the fact that they did it. The fact that it just looks so bad. Guest nailed it in the chat. He, he stole my words. I was just about to say they used the clone stamp tool. <laughs> Honestly, what I think happened is this has been playing on television for a long, long time. And I think in order for that scene to be shown on television, they had to do that early cover-up a couple of decades ago, really. So we're not dealing with state-of-the-art scene. This now, is new. Yeah, they said they did it for Disney+. They just Plus. did it oh, for they Disney+. Just Plus. Did it for yeah. this. this is just done for Disney+. Plus and it looks bad. It looks bad. Well, then Steven did it. How much did you get for it? He was on Fiverr. He, they found him on Fiverr. On he just Fiverr. did it. But you did for five bucks. That, that's about how much it's worth. For the record, I've looked it up here. This was the uh, Touchstone Pictures 1984 movie Splash with a young Tom Hanks. And um, Disney uh, representative confirmed to The Verge that, quote, a few scenes, end quote, from Splash were slightly edited to remove nudity. That's what they had said. And he should have said badly edited to remove nudity. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And the representative also confirmed that Splash's rating would revert from the PG-13 on Disney Plus to back to PG because of this. So there you go. I remember when this came out in the 80s, everybody wanted to go see it for that because of the nudity in it. And nudity in the 80s is different than nudity is. PG, this was PG-13 nudity in the 80s. It's way different. Like now it would probably just be PG. Who knows? Yeah. Anyways, I'm looking up the original after the show. Uh, but moving on to the next news point here, uh, which was the actual news point, was to do with Disney+. Plus. It looks like we've got a little bit of activity happening uh, next week with Star Wars. As you may have seen with all of the COVID situation and movie theaters being shut down and people being at, at home, a lot of streaming services are bumping up the release dates of at-home releases and things like that. And Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker is no different. They have brought up the Disney Plus drop day two months, a full two months, which will now drop on Star Wars Day, May the 4th. If you're not sure why that is, because it's May the 4th be with you. That is why it's Star Wars Day. And so <gasps> this no, will you be... you don't say. Wow. This is the completion, as we talked about last week on the show, of the Skywalker Saga. So you can now see them all on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if this will be the same in Canada. I know the last big um, bump up they have, uh, Frozen, Frozen 2. Uh, my kids wanted to see it. We had to wait a couple weeks in Canada. I guess mm. I'm not sure there must have been licensing problems or something like that because, you know, international distribution rights and things like that. I don't know why that would have been, but that was the case. But at least in the States, this will be the case. And there will also be a uh, Disney gallery quote or colon the Mandalorian, which is an eight episode documentary series about the Mandalorian. There's also been a rumor that apparently season three of The Mandalorian is in the works. This is well before season two is going to hit this October. But the rumor is that there will be a Mandalorian uh, season three coming eventually. I'm assuming that we'll be seeing it probably you, you October 2021. You know why? Because Disney likes money. 
I mean, let's be honest, unless they absolutely screwed up season two, there's no way they're going to be like, nope, we're not going to do season three of The Mandalorian. Come on. Yeah. It was an article I saw on Variety that said that they started pre-production on the 20th. So a one week ago today is when they started pre-production on it. So, yeah, I guess we'll see how that goes. And as far as uh, getting stuff, did you get Onward the same day that it came out for the United States? Uh, I'm not sure. I wasn't following that. My kids were waiting for Frozen 2. That's the only reason it was on my radar. Okay. I don't know. what is. When did Onward come out? Just a few weeks ago. We watched it the night it came out just for uh, something to do because the movie theaters are all closed. And even when the movie theaters open back up, I'm not going. So um, I yeah, am wouldn't. watching at-home releases for the next year, maybe, until they find a vaccine to this dang thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but going back to the Star Wars Day release, that that's great. They pushed it up. They can do that. They own the rights to it. The more interesting thing in my book, and because it's new, not necessarily because of my distaste for something like Episode Nine that I had issues with, this this Mandalorian behind the scenes thing, these roundtable episodes they're doing, where that's the directors, the showrunners, the stars that start talking about behind the scenes what the motivations were and things. I'm incredibly fascinated to see Taika Waititi describe some of his process for the things that he did in Mandalorian, because I'll be honest, Taika Waititi he fascinates me, his process, how he does things, his humor, things like that. I want to see John Favreau and Dave Filoni talk about talking with George Lucas and how they came up with ideas of what this character's motivation should be or why something was done the way it was in the Mandalorian. I'm far more excited for that than I am episode nine, not me taking a shot at episode nine. This is just new. It's new content. Yes, it's about content we've already seen, but I'm fascinated by it. And supposedly they're also going to get more into the special effects that they used. And we've talked about how they basically created their own holodeck to do uh, the special effects of Mandalorian. I want more on that. I want to hear the actors' impressions of what they did and how they interacted on this holodeck for the first time and how it changed their process. I cannot wait for this eight-part series that I think is going to be about as long as the Mandalorian series is so far. Have they confirmed that Happy Hogan was going to cross over into the Mandalorian yet? How could he? It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's Marvel and Star Wars magic. Anything's possible. Fair, I guess. <laughs> okay, so uh, I have to say I'm also excited about the documentary. I think it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. And also to answer the onward question, I did a quick Google. And according to the Canadian website, Mobile Syrup Onward did come to Disney Plus in Canada on April 3rd. And that appears to be the case the day that it also went to America. So I guess Onward was the same. So they're not going to do it with every movie. Yeah. So it'll be a pick and choose for you. I'm sorry that you're forced to deal with that. That's okay. When we did the original comparison, there was several things that were on there in Canada that wasn't in the States. So no, it's that's just, right. it there evens were. out. It evens out in the end. That's all. There that's was what some VPN is for. There was some movie. Wait, oh, John Carter. John Carter was available in Canada and that in the United States. I'm still mad at that. <laughs> Woo! I'm so, so excited that Steven gets that and I don't. How terrible. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this though, question about um, season three of The Mandalorian. Being, or being the fact that it's so early allegedly being worked on, do you think they're getting a bit ahead of themselves? No. 
No, because it's this not is until how showrunners work on these kind of things. As a matter of as soon fact, as you get done, you get started on the next season. It might have actually been beneficial for them knowing that they had another season because they could have drawn out some storylines in between season two and season three. Fair and point. if you believe if you believe the rumors, they're wanting to use the Mandalorian to potentially set up some spinoffs. And I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory, but if you want to get an idea of what that might be, go see the rumors of who Rosario Dawson was cast to be in the Mandalorian yeah. in season two. And you get an idea of some of the spinoffs they're potentially looking at. We talked about it on this show. That's true. I'm, we did. But I'm, then I'm, if people miss that or don't want to be spoiled, I don't want to reveal it on here. Fair enough. I'm so glad I watched. I binged the Luke Cage season two on Saturday, just two days ago. And I'm so glad that Rosaria Dawson was cast in another main role like this after seeing how she exited basically the defenders universe. I'm like, Oh man, that was rough. So I'm so glad she's got some redemption as an actor into something like this. It's going to be awesome watching her. She got really neglected in the later part of the Defenders universe, uh, for sure. Uh, I thought that they did her a complete disservice over there. Especially how she exited it. The, the actual plot line of her exiting was just horrendous. She has a new show on cable right now, I think, yeah. too, on top of this show that has not officially been confirmed that she has signed to guest star on because she was asked about it and said, I, as far as I know, nothing's been worked out yet. So they're playing it coy, but there is no official word that this signing has happened. Uh, let's just say that it it might be Anakin's biological mother. I'm just going to say that might be the case. We already met her. No, no. That, we, we assumed that was his biological mother. That was not because that's, Anakin Skywalker was, was actually given away at birth. And so that was his adoptive mother that he did not know about. So you didn't know about that. You didn't hear about that. That. Um, amendment she, to episode one. Uh, don't give them ideas. <laughs> at some point in time, they're going to have to rewrite that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm not surprised that this will make its way forward. The one thing I will say, I have not purchased star Wars, the rise of Skywalker yet. I had not planned on it. The only time I was going to watch it was the one time in the theater might actually go ahead and watch it. Now that it's going to be free on Disney plus. First of all, I'm not going to be watching anything else. Although I do have a plethora of stuff to watch. We can cover that another time. But also, it's free, so I might give it a second shot, and I might feel differently about it the second time around, especially while I'm at home and I don't have to worry about, do I have to hold it to go to the bathroom or miss something? You know, that sort of thing. I can just I, pause it, go to the bathroom. I just hope they have the special features that are included on the disc on Disney Plus in this, hmm. because I've got friends that watch the special features. Like, there's a two-and-a-half-hour documentary on like the sequel trilogy and how they tied things together. And while I may have my issues with said sequel trilogy, I'm really curious to watch that documentary because the people that were involved in it, whether they succeeded or not, in your opinion, they all love Star Wars. They're all fans also. So I'm kind of curious to see that. I'm going to leave um, the silence in because of the fact that I'm thinking about how J.J. Ab Abrahams, there's a callback, J.J. Abrahams is terrible for sci-fi. Um, which by the way, I never would have said that originally when Star Trek 2009 came out because I thought that he did a really good job of too. bringing back the Star Trek franchise that had been dead. Um, the best Star Trek movie of the reboot was the one he didn't do. Just saying. Same thing with the uh, Star Wars. Starship, Star Trek Insurrection? 
Star Trek three yeah. of the reboot ones. J.J. Uh, Abrams didn't do that. That was Justin Lin. Yes, the dude who did Fast and Furious movies. The one with the motorcycle. I was just going to say the one with the motorcycle chase inside the spaceship. Yeah. Well, it wasn't in a spaceship. It was on the planet. No, I agree. I agree. And I also same thing think with the Star Wars uh, trilogy as well. I think J.J. Abrahams, uh, again, that, that's a callback if, you're, if you think I'm saying it wrong. J.J. Abrams, I have to give him credit for bringing back the Star Star Trek franchise because he did bring it back. He, he did bring it back. It caused a lot of uproar with a lot of fans, but it did kick it off and created uh, a, a revi- revitalized the Star Trek franchise. However, when you look at what the longevity and what he did between Star Trek and Star Wars, there's so much just copying. He just cannot get the fan out of him is the problem that I see. And and I just see so much, so much just copying from his fandom. And so anyways, let, let's move on to the next news point before I get too mad at, at JJ's, JJ Abrahams. What's going on with the world of Google? Oh, sorry. Aspie wants to say no, something. Let Aspie say his part on there. I was just going to say, Stephen, I agree with you. Oh, you agree with me? Did that yeah, hurt? I'm, I'm not. I'm not a hater of J.J. Abrams, but I'm not a fan of his fandom and bringing the fandom into the movie. And what Chris said was absolutely legitimate. Was these people love the franchise? These people love Star Wars, and they just it, it's like a bunch of people that love football and at 50 years old, try to go out and win a game against the Cowboys. It's not going to happen. All right, well, let's go on to the next news point uh, now that SP's agreed with me, which I think hell has officially frozen over. What's going on in the world of Google? Google Home, why why is Google Home sensitive? How can I help make Google Home less sensitive? All right, so I'm going to try very hard here to not trigger your Google assistance. All right, guys? What, you don't want to say okay? No, I won't do it. I don't do you don't that. have to worry about it with me, Chris. I don't have any. Well, that's fair, but there are many people that probably listen to us that do. But thank you for You're letting me know. You're assuming that many people listen to us. I know of at least four, and two of them have Google Home Assistant. Wow, Google four. By the way, the mic's off. To turn it back on, <laughs> slide the switch on the back of Google Home. <laughs> that was Steven, not me. <laughs> that's what I was trying to hold up my Google Home, and, and for some stupid reason, the Google Home Mini, anytime you touch it when you've got this stupid mic switch on, which by the way, I might unplug a bunch of things, but it's a physical switch at the back for some stupid reason to turn it on and off. So then when you grab it, it does that. We'll try that again. By the, See? Way, the, mic- by the way, the mic's off. To turn it back on, slide the switch on the back of Google Home. Like why? Why does it do it every bloody time you touch it? It was stupid. Why? Why stupid don't you Google just on bad? Why don't? Why don't you unplug it? I, I actually went to unplug it and then it made the stupid noise. So uh, I was gonna unplug it to hold it up and then it made the noise. So then I rolled with it. That's okay. fair. So why are we talking about Google Home and its sensitivity? Google is officially rolling out new controls that allow users to adjust the sensitivity of their Google smart speakers to its wake word. That means you can fine tune your Google Home or your Nest devices to pick up hey G word or okay G word commands only when you're talking to it so that it doesn't randomly trigger based off of things that have been said. Uh, There was an update announced in a blog post on April 23rd where Google said it will be rolling the feature out over the next few weeks. If you're familiar with Google rollouts, that means it's just going to be random when it shows up in your account. Your buddy may get it the first day. You may wait two weeks later and then finally get it. Eventually, you will all get these new settings within the Google Home app. 
How do you adjust these sensitivity settings? If it is available, here's how you do it. Open the Home app, find the device whose wake word sensitivity you'd like to change. This works with the original Google Home, the Home Mini, the Home Max, the Nest Hub, and the Nest Hub Max. God, there's a lot of those devices now. Uh, tap the device you want to adjust, then tap the settings, which is the gear icon in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. Scroll down, and under the Device Settings tab, tap Hey G-Word Sensitivity. You can then drag the slider higher to make it more likely to hear your voice, or lower to make it less likely. When you get it to the setting you like, back out and adjust your other speakers if necessary. So why is this important? Say you've got it in your living room where you constantly got the TV turned up all the way so it's hard to hear you. Turn the sensitivity up. Say you've got one in your kitchen where there's not a lot of stuff going on. You can turn the sensitivity down because there's not lots of other noises going on. I think it's an interesting feature. I'm curious when you see it come to things like HomePod or come to Amazon Voice Services devices, things like that. I wonder why they hadn't thought of it sooner because it seems kind of like a no-brainer to me. That's one of the problems I've had with Google Home. Um, and I guess we call it Nest Home now or whatever. Um, the, I've had it from the beginning because I, I really, when I got into smart speakers, wanted to be a Google guy. I have a Google phone. I have a Google email. I really wanted to be it. I bought Google Home minis. I bought Google Home regulars. And I just couldn't get into it because little things like this, they did not do. And it took them forever to do that and catch but up. But does a word do this? I don't think it does, does it? I don't think it has to because because they've got the algorithm in there that seems to to figure out what it like people's voices and stuff. It's unnecessary. Uh, my sensitivity is all jacked up on mine right now. I have one in the three main rooms on my home, on my living room, my kitchen, and then in the hallway going upstairs. And whenever I'm in the living room, it's the kitchen that answers me right now for some reason. Don't know why on my mm. Amazon device. My Google devices don't have that problem. So a couple of things on the Amazon devices. First of all, it can distinguish your voice. So it knows who is talking. So, so can G word for okay. references sake. Okay. So the other thing is it started a couple months ago, not constantly, but often when it was trying to determine what was the better device to listen to, meaning I was in between. It wasn't hearing me strongly through either of them. And for example, I've got one in the master bathroom and one in the master bedroom, and I could be coming up the stairs and talking and one or the other will answer and will say, is this the, the device that you want to respond? And I will say yes or no. And they will, they've gotten to the point where they've been pointing pretty much it's personal preference too. So I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if it would do the same thing for my wife or my daughter and to try to determine which one was the better one for them and not just me. So I don't know. That's actually what I was referring to because my dad recently switched back from Google's to Amazon voice services. I don't, I, now do, but for the longest time, I didn't have them close by where I would run into this issue. But we were just talking about this this past weekend where he was saying that um, they were they asked him that question, is this the device that you wanted? And so that's what I was referring to is the technology being able to determine which you want. Um, I, I Again, I haven't seen it, but uh, you're, you're probably right. There probably is no manual setting. So I guess that is something they're ahead of. But I don't know. I, I just personally am not the biggest Google Home I, I will, mini fan. I will say in my house, and I misspoke, it's not the hallway. It's the dining room, kitchen, and living room. I have them on my main level. There is one on the stairwell going upstairs, but that's not the problem. 
I have found that my Google devices do a better job of recognizing me in the room I'm in and responding from there. My Amazon devices don't for some reason. And here's where it gets really weird. It's the newest version of my Amazon Echo that's in my living room that has the most difficult time being the one that responds to me when I'm in that room. And yes, SP, I've gotten that same question you mentioned where it said, is this the device I'm supposed to use? And it doesn't quite seem persistent. Like sometimes it'll it'll stick, other times it doesn't. So I need to figure out the way I can go into the apps to configure sensitivity or to make it be better about telling which is actually closer because yes, echoes can throw it off. I mean, echoes like your voice bouncing off walls, not like <laughs> devices. I should clarify, can throw it off, but there's there's no reason why the device that's three feet away from me shouldn't respond, but the device that's around a corner in my kitchen is what responds to me. I've been really frustrated with it and trying to get them to toggle right. So anecdotally, it seems like the Google devices do better in my use case. And just for a point of reference for folks that are curious, in my house, because I, I like playing with them and testing to see what they can do, there's literally a Google device right next to an Amazon device wherever one of them is. It's really weird for me. I mean, it's, it's inconvenient, not bad, but... I guess it just depends on your house layout and things like that, because uh, you and I have had very different experiences, and we've talked about that a few different times on this show. I don't have any of the Google devices, but Chris, since you have them, I need to ask you, do I need a Home Max or a Hub Max in order to watch HBO Max? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how all this HBO... We've made fun of it on this show and other shows. I know HBO Max is launching soon. I still have no idea what the difference is between all the different HBOs because every time I learn, I forget because it's so damn confusing how AT&T names all of their streaming products. Well, I have one response to that. By the way, the mic's off. To turn it back on, slide the switch on the back of Google Home. That was pretty underwhelming. <laughs> That's my response. Much like my news story. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll move on to the last news point that we've got here, SP. And you're saying, don't travel. Yeah, specifically, don't travel to Florida. Now, I was all excited. Chris actually messaged us a story last week, and I was kind of all excited about it. I didn't think I was going to talk about it, though, because it was something that was planned for the future. And generally, I don't talk about that unless there's something else to talk about. Well, luckily for us, something else came up about it. So I'm going to cover that. What I'm talking about here is a Space.com article by Chelsea Gould about SpaceX's first astronaut launch. And Chris was all excited about this. He said he was planning on picking me up and we were going to buddy drive down to Florida and we were going to watch this launch. We That's what you messaged me for, right, Chris? We were going to go to the club on the beach and watch from there. Sit out on the back deck, have some big ass cigars and some brandies or some whiskeys in a glass and just right there watch on, the launch. Yeah, right there on the all, Space Coast, Cocoa yep. Beach, you know, something down there, Daytona Beach, and just watch the launch. Yeah. Feel all oh. fancy and sophisticated while we have our adult beverages and smoke some Cuban cigars. Did you just say that SP was going to go clubbing? Is that what you said? Well, he was going to go we're clubbing? We're going to go clubbing. You haven't been clubbing with SP? I have it's not delightful. been delightful. I have not You're gone missing clubbing. out. No. You are indeed missing out. Man. SP knows how to club. That's right? been clubbing all over the world. Those you seals got... never saw it coming. <laughs> 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 old well, joke well, well well done chris well done but not true okay <laughs> what we're talking about here is that nasa doesn't want you to watch this thing <laughs> they don't 
So as NASA tackles, like the rest of the world, the corona pandemic, NASA Administrator Jim Brennanstein urged and warned all sorts of space enthusiasts to stay home next month during SpaceX's historic first astronaut launch, which is tentatively scheduled, I believe, for Mar- uh, May 27th, 2020. We'll see if they keep that date. So Jim Brennanstein made the statements on Thursday, April 23rd, during an hour-long video conference on the agency's response to COVID-19. SpaceX's upcoming Crew Dragon Demo-2 launch will be NASA's first mission to launch astronauts into space from U.S. soil since the agency's space shuttle program ended in 2011. When that happened, I never knew it was going to take nine years for us to get back into space. I mean, I thought about it because, of course, no program development goes as planned, but I just didn't think it was going to take this long. So it's warming my heart a little bit if they go get the go ahead to go ahead and do this in May or June. They're actually going to be able to launch American astronauts from American soil again. Hopefully nothing goes wrong. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to Boeing's upcoming launch as well. It just seems that SpaceX beat them to the punch. It's not necessarily means that SpaceX is going to be the better of the two. It just means that they're both going to be able to launch people into space, which is a good backup plan to have because right now we've got one. It's called the Soyuz. That's it. There is no other backup, just one. It's like there should be a sign outside of Florida that says danger, do not enter. That's what I think right now. I, I think so. Yeah. Matter of fact, I, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were stopping people at the border with New York plates on and, and asking what their plan was in order to self quarantine for two weeks and stuff like that. I, that those checkpoints could still be there right now. Mm-hmm. How come it's not Boca Chica? That's in Texas. I know, yeah. but how come they didn't move Boca Chica? Because they got Cocoa Beach. Or it's Texas, well, why man. didn't they make another Boca Chica like how there's multiple Palm Springs? It, it, there, dude, have you been down there? There's lots of cool names for stuff down there. Why don't they call it uh, Stargate Pioneer City? Who says they don't? Take me down to Star Pass City. Sorry. All right, so long story short, none of us are going to go check this out because we're not supposed to go down there. Is that what I heard? You heard that nobody is supposed to go down there. You did not hear that nobody is going to check it out on this podcast. Okay, fair enough. So nobody on this podcast is supposed to go down there. Is that right? Suncast is watching from Mars on his space (laughs) telescope. So... Nobody in general public is supposed to go down there is what I've heard. Uh, okay, general. Okay, yeah, Chris, fair enough. Chris Farrell and I will um, use the holodeck to witness this. That's what we're going to do. Awesome. I signed a three-day contract with SNASA so I can go down there. I'm Canadian. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. Mm, safer that way. But that, that was nothing to do with COVID. That's just me yeah. in general not being allowed <laughs> yeah. to go anywhere. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. underneath the stage four of NASA's pandemic response not even nasa employees are supposed to travel to there unless they're absolutely mission essential and remember this is not a nasa mission this is a nasa paid for mission this is a spacex mission you know what would be cool if they did virtual reality for it they might i mean remember spacex does all sorts of cool live streams and stuff like that 
wouldn't surprise me if they did something like that where you could plug in your headset or your Google Daydreams. Do it that way. There's just still use for it, Stephen. I've yes. used it twice, and I've had it for three years. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I watched, I watched Apollo 13 a couple of months ago, a few weeks before the 50th anniversary. I knew it was coming up, and I watched Apollo 13, and the launch on my new system with the new 7.1.2 Dolby Atmos surround system and everything. It was awesome. And it just reverberated the whole house. I got this SB, what are you doing? You know, and stuff. <laughs> I was like, I'm watching a launch. And, you know, that was about it. So, yeah, I, I remember those launches. Now, this is not going to be the big SpaceX rocket. This is just going to be the smaller rocket that's capable of launching astronauts into low Earth orbit. This is not going to be the Mars mission launch you know the the bfr whatever they're calling it these days it's not going to be that rocket so it's not going to be as big as the saturn 5 is basically what i'm saying however if you've never seen a launch in florida i highly recommend you get to any launch because those things crackle and they reverberate in your chest and you feel the ground move and everything it's like being in the best theater ever it's awesome especially a night launch it's awesome well, thank you for sharing that with us. Greatly appreciate that, Mr. Pioneer. And we look forward to watching it on the holodeck. Let's face it. We're all going to watch it on YouTube like we always do. Pretty much. That's fair. Well, before we go, let's just take a moment to plug and promote and talk about what we've got going on in our lives with the world of podcasting and other endeavors. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, I was doing some 3D printing. Uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that. I so far have had a bit of beginner's luck, I think, with printing and um, successes. But I, I really do like um, just experimenting with some of the stuff. I got to get into the modeling a little bit more now. Um, that's aside from, you know, the fashion modeling that I do. I'm talking about 3D modeling. So uh, I'm doing that. But the other thing that I do is uh, every other week I do a podcast with Stargate Pioneer called Better Podcasting. And one of the things that we do when we're not recording that, so that's every other week, on the off weeks, we do a live Q&A, live questions and answers. And so you can come by the chat room, ask us some questions. And hopefully in the future, one day we'll have Mr. Farrell on there as well to answer some questions as well, particularly all about... But I'm dumb. I was going to say all about live streaming video because he is, he was the first of us. He was the first live stream video streamer out of all of us. And I have been surpassed by you, boss man. You were the first and it always matters who was the first. Does it? SP is <laughs> nope. not taking that bait. Uh, nope. Chris, is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Uh, there's lots of good live stream content over on gunnygeek.com. Scroll down to, excuse me, go to geeks.live. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. Please come check out some of their live content because we like it when there's an audience when we perform and tell funny jokes and tell stupid stories. So come watch more live content, geeks.live. I managed to get through Picard. Discovery Season 1 and Discovery Season 2, all within my 30-day free trial of CBS All Access. Thank you very much, Sir Patrick Stewart, for that gift. I really appreciate it. And because of that, I might actually end up 
paying for CBS All Access oh. when season three of Discovery comes <laughs> oh. around. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I might. I, or I might wait until Picard season two comes out and catch them both. I don't know. We'll see. But it was worthy of watching. It's just it wasn't worthy of me paying for it. That's for sure. When it was the only thing there and it literally was just about the only thing i watched for a month because getting through those three series was was took that long i did manage to do it so very thankful that that was there also on legends of shield we are starting our farewell tours of series that we've been watching for a while we just started iron fist season two which will be the first defender series that we cover that will be the last time that we cover the series because they're canceled so Iron Fist, and then we'll go back and do Luke Cage. And of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, the last and final season, will start May 27th. And we will start our podcasting on that. And it will be 13 weeks of us saying goodbye to the show that started Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's going to be a cool year saying goodbye to all those. And a cool year once we finally get the Marvel Disney Plus series. That's going to be our new content as we move forward. So we're looking forward to that. And if you want to check that out, go to gunnageek.com and you will find Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. right there. So on that note, for episode number 329 of the official gunnageek.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying SP now has CBS All Access, which means he needs to memorize every Horatio Kane opening from CSI Miami. MSP saying I no longer have CBS All Access. So good luck with that. And I'm Chris Farrell, and I feel overwhelmed by the spirit of just something. I don't know what. <sighs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>